and unlimited joy. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to briefly go through what we uh, originally uh, shared with you last week, and then we're going to jump into the last two points uh, today. Now, uh, in what many would consider the darkest possibly should have been the darkest days of Paul's life is when we have this letter written uh, by him that was just full of joy. In four chapters, the theme of joy comes up 16 times. And uh, so when you think about it, Paul obviously was on to something when it came to his life. Even in the midst of dire circumstances, there was joy that came from his life. So look at the introduction. The incredible life begins with God's unimaginable love towards us, a love that pursues and is passionate. Our response to this love conceives the incredible life God has for us, an unlimited joy that can be cultivated in us. Now, the reason, uh, again, as I said last week, I, I use the word cultivated is I think it's important for us to understand that joy, peace, and those things that we want so much into our lives, those things don't just happen. These are things that we cultivate in our lives. And last week I gave you this definition, and I want to give it to you again. The definition to, of cultivation is to promote or improve the growth of by labor and attention. Cultivation is a process of preparing the soul, which many times in Scripture, Jesus compared the soul to our hearts, planting the seed, that would be God's Word, nurturing the seed, then God provides the end product, the fruit, which could be peace and joy and all the other things that we love about life. But again, these are not just things that just kind of appear out of nowhere. These are things that are cultivated in our lives through nurture and care and attention. Now, the biblical definition of joy is the unshakable assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life, the quiet confidence that ultimately everything will be all right, and the determined purpose to praise God in all things. This is the key to what we understand as joy. And many of us would be sitting here today and probably say, yeah, this, is, this statement is correct. Life without joy is overwhelming and even oppressive. We've all been there. We've all had those times of discouragement. We've all had those times where possibly we felt sorry for ourselves and things just, it seemed like nothing in life was working. And for many of us, that's when joy goes out the window. So how can we refocus our eyes on joy? How can we cultivate joy in our hearts? Well, I think Paul in the book of Philippians gives us six ways. The first four we saw last week. I want to briefly review on those. Six ways to cultivate joy. Number one, invest in the lives of others. Paul was joyful because he was unselfish. He invested in others. You say, well, give me a, a picture of the, the type of care that he had for others. Read 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. Read Philemon. Read Titus. These are letters that he sent and that talks to great deal how much of investment he made in other people's lives. Joy is cultivated in us when we invest in others. And, and yet there's some of us sitting here today who would say, you know, I tried that one time and got hurt really bad. 
Well, let me just say this. I think there's times where we are going to be hurt. Anytime we enter into a relationship, anytime we invest in other people, there we are. We possibly could be setting ourselves up for hurt. But we were created to connect with others. We were created to invest in one another. It's time to get back on the horse. And then there's another section of you, maybe those who have said, you know something, and someone reminded me of this last week. There's been times where I have invested in other people's lives and, and I didn't see any fruit that came from it. Well, someone reminded me last week, which I thought was very interesting, that, that we're not responsible for the fruit that's produced in someone else's life. We're just called to be obedient to what we know we're called to be, to be obedient to. And that is the, in the investment of other people's lives. Secondly, we need to yield to the purposes of God. I said this last week, but if you're just drifting in life and you don't know where you came from, why you were created, where you're going or why you're here, there will not be joy in your life. You're just floating along. It's no different than in the spring when we see the, the little uh, weed that has the, the white feather things and the wind blows and you see that just kind of carried off somewhere. No, there's nothing there. The, the thing that we need to realize is that there is purpose in our lives and that's where we find joy in the fact that we're living for something greater than ourselves. A third way to cultivate joy in your life is to put the past behind us, the regrets I mean, let's face it, every one of us in this room have regrets. If you're a parent, you have regrets. If you have children, you have regrets. No, I'm just kidding. I, never mind, I, I, I took a step too far. But maybe you do have regrets. But anyway, but there are those times when we look back on life and we say, you know something, this back here, I just can't get past this. Well, what do we just sing about? We talked about a God who can restore our past, be with us in, in our present, and secures the future. How is it we can't trust him with those things in the past? And then there's the rewards. There's some of you, I mean, I just hate to say this, but some of us are resting on past accomplishment. It's, it's, God wants to do something new every day. Every season of life, he wants to bring something new. We're not called out to pastor. We're here to, to be there when God calls us. There's a new work. There's a new day in what he has for us. And then another way to cultivate joy, trust God with the future. Trust God daily. Trust him daily. Trust him with eternity. I mean, think about it. Most of the things that we are focused on in this day and age, the whole concept of eternity and what awaits us takes care of everything we're in the midst of. You start thinking about the body, the lowly body. And Paul says in Philippians, guess what? That body's going to be transformed. You talk about living in a fallen world where you can be hurt and this can happen and this can happen. One day we'll be delivered from sorrow and hurt and pain and suffering and even death. We can trust him with these things. And joy should be at the heart of those things. And then today, I want to focus on these last two. Another way to cultivate joy in your, in, in your life is focus on the present. Focus on the present. Think about it. We can only change and influence the present. Regretting yesterday and worrying about tomorrow must be replaced with focusing on the present. You think about the days of uncertainties. Many of you would describe these as days of uncertainty. But what is good? What is positive? 
What is coming of this? What does God potentially, what could he do in this? And, and here's where I think everything really comes down to this one question. Here's the key question we need to ask ourselves every day. What are we choosing to focus on? What are you choosing to focus on? When you get up in the morning, and, and for some of you, maybe you're a, a, a task person, and you've got this list, and your focus is on the list and getting the list done. Man, I applaud you. I'm, I lean that way myself. But, but let me just say this. What are we choosing to focus on when the interruptions come to the list? What are we choosing to focus on when, when things are not quite going the way we planned, what we wanted, what we would like to have seen? You see, we can choose what to focus on. We can choose to focus on what is good and what is joyful. Now, the only way to do this is to not let things or others steal your joy. Look on your outline. Don't let people steal your joy. There were two ladies in Philippians chapter 4. They obviously had a disagreement. How many of you ever had a disagreement with somebody? I mean, someone you were close to. Maybe it happened this morning, <laughs> whenever it is. But, but we have these times in our lives where there's people that seem to be in our lives. Maybe they're there permanently like a spouse. Praise God for that, right? Or, or, or whatever it may be. And we're sitting there and we're struggling and we're going through this. But look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 2. He says, I implore Judea and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. You mean to tell me that, that these ladies who are bickering and going after one another, they're, they're, they're born again, they're, they're followers of Jesus, that's what it says. And he's basically saying, come alongside of them, help them out. They're, they don't have joy in their life right now. And then you come to verse 4. Bring them to the point to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. And then it says, for the Lord is at hand. He's watching how this is going to play out. Now, let me ask you a question when it comes to joy in other people. How many of you have people in your life? Don't raise your hand. Please don't raise your hand, okay? I'm not going to raise my hand, all right? How many of you have people in your life that steal your joy? Right now, I'm saying this, and this face pops in your mind. Now, now again, I, 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 for some of you, I don't mean to make light of it. For some of you, it, it's a very difficult circumstance. But you know what I'm talking about. How many of you have the Eeyores of life in your life? The Eeyores. No matter what the circumstance is, it's always going to end bad. There's no hope for anything. It, don't raise your hand. But how many of you have those people in your life? Yeah, we have those people, don't we? How about the doubters? It'll never work. It'll ne it won't come to anything. And, and then we have the takers. How many of you have takers in your life? They take, 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 take. Have you ever had those? Now, how many of you are sitting there wondering if you're one of these three? And you're sitting there. <laughs> I mean, think about it. Think about the dynamic of our relationships. And there are times, let me say this about the takers. In all relationships, there are givers and takers. Some people describe it, there are sponges and supporters. <laughs> okay, now, now hardly ever in, think, in, in all our relationships, I want you to think about all your relationships, hardly ever do the taking, does the taking and giving balance out. How many of you ever noticed that? 
How many of you get all uptight when it doesn't balance out? How many of you feel like in some of your relationships, it's give, 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 give. No take, no take, no take. And then there's times where it may be the other way. How many of you have been in a season in your life where, and granted, we all have these seasons where we need people for support, where we do take a lot, and we do take a lot. But the goal is eventually becoming mature in the relationship where we can give and take and support one another through difficult times and where the friendship or the the marriage or whatever it may be can pick up the pieces at times when the other's not capable. That's the dynamic. But let's face it, we have these people in our lives. And let me just say this. When it comes to the takers, you have to be very careful with how many that you allow in your life. Now, some of you are sitting here and you're like, I must be a sponge for takers because everyone is taken from me, everyone. Listen, let me say this. I think there are times, and some of it depends on your spiritual gift. It really does. I don't have time to get into all that. But I think there are times we need to understand that that life is not just about those that take from us. We have to receive also. And we've got to build these people into our lives. And that's, again, that's the reason I feel, we feel so strongly about connect groups and getting one-on-one with other people and, and mentoring and discipleship. Those things are important that we can receive when we need to receive. But I want you to evaluate. Who are the joy potential killers in your life? And evaluate what that looks like. I'm not saying you ax them off or write them off. I'm just saying take careful evaluation. And build some support into your life. A second thing is this. Don't let worry steal your joy. And we talked about this some months ago. But look at verse 6. He says, be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about anything. I mean, think about what he's saying here. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. Don't, you know what the final thing is here? Don't worry about things. Give it to God. Some of you are like, boy, you make it sound so simplistic. Listen, it really is that. It is that simplistic. And let me show you what I'm talking about. This is what I've found, and I gave you this not several months back. Did you know that worry carries with it much deception? How many of you can kind of somewhat see where I'm going with this? A lot of our worry has a lot of deception associated with it. Psychologists have found that uh, uh, of all our worries, 40% of what we think is going to happen never happens. 30% is more of what's happened in the past, which is our control anyway. 22% are really, when you line it up with other people's worries, are pretty petty when it comes to to what others are dealing with, leaving really only 8% of our worries that are really legit meaning 92% of our worrying is grounded in deception. Then when you think about the other 8% of worrying, when it, which is or becomes legit, guess whose hands it's really in? It's in the hands of God. And we can choose to place it there. Nothing catches him off guard. I want you to think about this. Worry reveals the level of our faith. When faith is activated, worry decreases and even ceases. Another, uh, when, when, when faith is activated, worry does the same thing. Another way of saying it, every step you take towards worry, you take a step away from faith. 
And yet we're called to put our trust and faith in him. I want to show you the way cultivation works here in verses 6 and 7. In, in verse 6, we, we, we see this phrase. He, what does he say? He says, be anxious for nothing. It's, not, it's really more than a phrase. It's a command. It's a command. Think about that. It's not a suggestion. It's, it's not one of those things in the Bible that's written that says, hey, if you really, if you want to dabble in joy, try this. No, it's a command. It's, it's basically saying, if you want what's best for you, put this practice in your life. Don't worry about things. Don't get bent out of shape about these things. Now, the weed, I want you to think about that going back to this cultivation process. The weed is our anxiety and our worry. And let me just tell you about it. How many of you nurture your worry and your anxiety? How many of you do that? How many, I mean, some of us do, don't we? Sometimes we defend what we're worried about. Someone will come in and try to put a good light on what you're dealing with or maybe give you a word uh, about, from God's word about your worry. And, I mean, you need to trust God. Uh, you don't understand. Uh. Don't, don't we nurture our worry sometimes? Don't we nurture our, our anxiety? You say, boy, that sounds sick. But yeah, we do it. And, and that's the whole idea. That's the wheat. That's the weed. It needs to literally not to be nurtured. It needs to be uprooted. So what does he say? Be anxious for nothing. And then the cultivation. Where does the cultivation? I'm going to uproot the weed. Where am I going to cultivate? And again, the goal, I believe, is to move us to a place of joy and peace. That we can bring the fruit of what God so desires to deliver in this incredible life. That those things can be present in our life. So what's the cultivation? Well, prayer. What does he say? Look at verse 6 again. Uh, he says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer supplication, that's basically just asking with thanksgiving, that's a, a gratitude, that your request may be known to God. So what's the cultivation? What am I going to cultivate in my, in my heart? I'm going to, there's prayer that's associated with it. There's gratitude. And lo and behold, there's trust. And then what, what's the fruit? The fruit's verse 7. And then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ, or through Christ Jesus. So listen, peace, as we have already said, is the opposite of worry. The peace of God stands guard over two areas we see here in verse 7. And those two areas create worry in our souls. The head, the mind. We have negative and destructive thoughts. How many of you ever gone through your day and all of a sudden it's like, why do I feel so down? And you almost have to take a little journey back to figure it out. How many of you ever had to do that? Okay, I knew I was different. But, 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 but we do. We, we, we sit there and all of a sudden it's like, why do I feel so down? Why do I feel so burdened? Why is there such this anxiety that seems to consume me or fear or doubt, whatever? And sometimes we've got to take a little journey back to, to figure it out. Maybe it's something we planted in, our, in, in, in the soul of our heart. Maybe it's something in the mind. But he's talking about we've got to guard those things that we bring to our mind. And then the heart creates negative and destructive feelings, which leads us to the next point. The determining factor of whether we have peace or whether we worry is what we focus on. It's all about the focus. So thirdly, don't let negativity steal your joy. Now, what are the sources of your negativity? 
just want to ask you a question. If I were to say, okay, what leads to negativity in your life? I want you to think about that. What is it? Can't be your spouse. You're stuck with them, okay? No. <laughs> now, I want you to think about that. What's the source of your negativity? Could it be past experiences? This never worked, this never worked, this never worked. It's just kind of built in. It's just, it's your, it's your go-to. It's always going to end poorly. It's always going to, again, it's a lens. What are we, how are we seeing life? What kind of lens are we placing there that creates the negativity? How about news? Does news create negativity in your life? Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Well, we, need to, we need to guard it. We need to be careful with that. We, we need to uh, put it this way. How many of you find, <laughs> how many of you just sometimes have to just shut off the news? You, you just have to do that. I, I, I find myself, I, I don't think it was that way. It didn't seem like it was that way 15 years ago or whatever. There's a different dynamic that's been introduced. And, and it's almost like, I mean, you, some of you may know who Walter Concrete and those guys. You remember those guys? They weren't perfect, but man, what did, they gave you the news, you know? Good, bad, and different. They gave you the news, okay? Everything's being spun now in such a way that heightens everything. And, and most of the focus is on the negativity. And, and so it sets a lens in which we begin to look at everything through that lens of negativity. And I think we need to be informed. I don't think we need to be naive about the current events in which we live. But there's times where it seems like my soul and my heart can handle it better than other times. There's times I just need to shut it off, and there's times I, I probably need to be informed. And then you got to find the right source, right? But again, you need to be paying attention to these things. How about abuse? For some of you, bless your heart, you, that's some of your past. And, and the lens of negativity in which you see everything has been tarnished. Everything's been tarnished because of some abuse that you've dealt with in the past, maybe currently deal with. You need to seek out help. Hurt and bitterness. Man, someone hurt you years ago, and right now you just, I mean, it just, it's the lens in which you see everything. Everything out there has the potential. When you have that ingrained in your mind that moves to your heart, everything out there then becomes something that could potentially hurt you again. And it's a root is what the Bible says. It's at the core of who, it becomes at the core of who we are. And that negativity can come through. How about our own sin? the guilt and shame of sin. I've talked with people who've been addicted to certain things, pornography and different things, and, and they talk about this, this negativity, this shadow, this cloud that seems to hang over them. And, and, and they keep going back to these areas and going back, and it, it literally just sucks the life out of them and the negativity because they're constantly dealing with the guilt and shame of life that can put a lens of negativity on everything. How many of you ever noticed when you drive your car that where you're looking seems to be the direction the car will go? Have you ever noticed that? I'm talking about for, and I don't recommend you look at something for a lengthy period of time without looking at the road, but how many of you know if you look at something over there on the shoulder of the road, you, you tend to move that way, right? 
Cars coming up beside you. You want to see if they have a Pleasant City sticker on it? You kind of <laughs> you got a fish on there, you know, just kind of. That's just me making sure I'm not harassing any of you. But anyway, um, but, but how many of you, <laughs> I wish it were not true. But anyway, um, <laughs> but, but how many of you have noticed that's kind of where the car goes? It just kind of, we just kind of go the way we're focused on. And, and it's so true. The Bible has something to say about that. Proverbs 23, 7. For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Let me give you some paraphrase. For as a person thinks in their heart, so will be their reality. For as a person thinks in their heart, so will be the direction of their life. And yet in verse 8 of Philippians 4, Paul is telling us, okay, we, we need to come to a conclusion about what we need to focus on. And this idea of negativity and people bringing uh, the negativity and circumstances, we need to look through everything through a lens of what God desires us to look through. And here's what he says in verse 8. I want you to look at verse 8. Look what he says. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, things that are lovely, things that are good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Meditate on these things is another command that we find here in this verse. And so what does it mean to, to focus on, to, and, and let me tell you what you're literally doing. What you're doing is you're taking off the lens of negativity and you're putting on the lens of the possibilities of all that God can do in and through your life in spite of the negativity. doesn't mean that all these things disappear. It means you look at things in a whole different way. They have new potential. So look at what he says, the things that are true, meaning genuine and sincere, speaks of integrity. The problem with many of us is we're not focused on those things that are true and sincere. I mean, let's face it, the things we look and in in, in the domains that are available to us, social media and the news and all these things, we can't even determine what's true and sincere anymore. Whether it's a newscaster talking about something that's going on in politics or, or even a friend trying to present themselves on social media. I mean, we, we, we get so confused. Noble meaning honest, honorable, respectful, just, meaning fair in dealings with others, pure, meaning keeping away from those things that may defile us, lovely, meaning harmony and not strife. How many of you would like to get through a whole day without strife? Have you noticed it's almost like it's everywhere? Turn on the news. I mean, I, I hate to keep playing that card, but let's face it. Let's, let's look for those things that's creating these things in us. Good report. Look for something that builds us up. We don't live in a world right now that fosters that. We need to find that. Virtue, motivated to do the right thing, praiseworthy, motivated to build up and not tear down. Because what happens is when we wear the lenses of negativity, we will be one that joins in tearing down. Because nothing will be right. Nothing will be right. And that will be the scope and how we present ourselves. He says, meditate on these things. It's a command. It's actually the present tense here means it's something that we are to do continually. Keep these things at the forefront of your mind. These are the thoughts that lead to joy and peace and the things that God wants to cultivate in your life. 
Think about what he's saying. The combination of prayer and God's word is the greatest path to joy. They supersede our circumstances of the present, our regrets in the past, and our worries and fears of the future. Remember, the present is the change agent of our lives. We can't control what's in the past anymore. And we can bring it under submission to Christ. We can ask for, uh, we can repent from it and turn from it, but those things are still back there. The future is still going to be the future. The present is where God works with us. It's what's being cultivated in our lives. And then lastly, another way to cultivate joy in your life, and this is key, learn to be content. Now, the content I'm talking about here, I'm not talking about learning to be content living in sin or learning to be content in anything. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about uh, not wanting to grow in Christ. Not talking about that. Because in Philippians chapter 3, Paul talked about how he was not content where he was and knew God wanted to carry him to greater things. I get that. I'm talking about being content. I think you know what I mean in, in the fashion of the world. Being content in life itself. Let me tell you about this type of contentment. It's not natural. It's just like everything else, everything else I shared with you. It has to be cultivated in you. It has to be cultivated. Sometimes it comes and goes. How many of you uh, felt like you've been starving before? You're starving. You get that meal, a lot of that meal, right? You're satisfied. You're content. How long does that stay with you? Till the dessert menu comes by, right? <laughs> no, you know what I'm talking about. It comes and goes, and we think just for a moment, and we think, man, if we could just rest right here, it'd be so much easier, you know. But guess what? Breakfast is coming tomorrow, and lunch, and day. I mean, we, we think through these things, and for a moment, we can have it. But think about this. Some of you may have these statements going on in your head. If I could just get to this point in my life, if I, if I could just get married, I would be a whole person. If I could just like, look like such and such, I would feel good about myself. If I had this amount of money, uh, then I would have what I would need. If I had this career, I think I could be fulfilled in life. Being content, listen, directly affects our ability to be joyful today. It's a big deal. Think about it. In the Americas, in the Western, most Western culture, in 2021, in the 2020s, we have more available to us and we have more than any other, play, any other time in history. And yet, what do we want? We want more. We want more. Let me give you the enemies of contentment. But before I do, I want to read a, a, ver, a passage. Paul's writing to Timothy. He's talking about the very subject. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, look here on the screen. It says, now godliness with contentment is great gain. He's basically saying if you really want to get somewhere in your thinking, if you really want to be where, where the things can be cultivated in your life through what God wants to do, this is a great place to start. And so when he says godliness, it's, it's literally the idea of becoming more godly, but it's also viewing life through the lens of God. Not through the lens of negativity, through the lens of God. And notice I've said not through the lens of positivity. Because positivity is just a way of thinking. I'm talking about where your reality centers around all that God desires for you. And that's where it should be. And he says with this, with contentment is great gain. That means it creates great joy and satisfaction. 
And then he says this, for we brought nothing into this world and it is certain that we can't carry nothing out. It's all staying here. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich, those who make their life pursuit to be rich, fall into temptation and a snare. He's literally saying they're setting themselves up in a way that they can never be satisfied, never content. There's never enough. And into it, many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Those pursuits lead to destruction. For the love of money, notice what it says, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith. It's taken people away from the dynamics of God working in and through their life where they saw that into their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. You know what it means? They left something that did deliver and fell for something that didn't deliver. And they're still discontent. What are the enemies of contentment? Look on your outline, fear. Fear can be an enemy. What if I never measure up in some way? What if I never have enough? How about greed? I want more and I will have more. That's greed. Ungratefulness. Why should I be grateful? I don't have enough. That sounds bold, doesn't it? Pride. I deserve more. Entitlement. I'm entitled to more. Wow. That's kind of cutting, isn't it? Enemies of contentment. And then there's one that I think is becoming probably the, the greater in the world in which we live. Comparisons. Envy. I don't have what others have, and I resent that I don't. Here's what we do with comparisons. Am I doing better or worse than this person? Is my house better or worse? Is my spouse better or worse? Is my life better than worse or worse than this person? Depending on how you answer the question, each time, listen to this, you are either feeding your insecurity or your pride. Either way. You're either feeding a sense of inferiority or, or one of superiority through comparisons. Neither are of God and both can lead to destruction. Think about that. Social media... Social media, and probably many of you are sick of me calling this out, but I'm, I'm going to keep calling it out until you get it right, okay? <laughs> I'm sick of talking about it. I'll be honest with you. But this is an epidemic that's going on in our nation. This leading to suicides in age groups we never imagined would commit suicide. It's leading to discontentment in marriage. It's leading in discontent. It's causing financial ruin. People are chasing things that are really there. And it's all driven by these modes in which things are coming into our lives. Social media has magnified our comparisons, bringing other people's lives before us. And many, however, are even putting the truth out there. They're putting their fantasy life, for many, not all, but for many, 
They're looking at something that's not comparable. Not only that, the advertisements. What we have must be replaced. How many of you remember there was a time it was okay to have a mattress? Now you got to have a mattress with memory foam. And then right when I got that, they said, now you need one that will cool you back when you sleep and, and, and heat your feet up at the bottom down there. Now they're telling me because of my acid reflux, I need one that leans up. <laughs> I'm sick of chasing mattresses. <laughs> and that's just mattresses. You, you see what I'm saying? The discontentment? The comparisons breed discontentment, discouragement, and at times destruction and hatred of others, sometimes of oneself. There will always be, let me fill you in on something. There will always be someone who has more success, more beauty, more wealth, and more talent. There's always going to be someone out there that has that more than you. So how do we develop how do we cultivate contentment? Number one, gratitude. Starts with gratitude. In Philippians chapter four, verse 10, listen to what Paul, Paul said, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked the opportunity. You know what Paul's grateful for? Their attempt at helping him. They weren't incapable of helping him, but he's, gra he's grateful for their attempt. That's a heart of gratitude, wouldn't you say? Some of, you, some of us would look at him and say, well, if you can't help me, I'm, I'm still not going to thank you for it. Great day. But he's thanking them for their attempt. It starts with a heart of gratitude. Next, acknowledgement and, and acceptance. Verse 11, Paul says, not that I speak in regard to whether I have need, uh, uh, need, for I have learned, I have cultivated in me whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be a base, do without. I know how to abound, do with. Everywhere and in all things, I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Because his greatest comes from God. It's God that's calling the shots, not the discontentment of his heart. Dependence on God. Philippians 4.13. How many of you, that's your go-to verse when you need something, when you need God's strength? Do you know what the context is in? It's in the context of being content, which tells me this may be the toughest thing to overcome in life is be content, to, to, to be content in something. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's a dependence on God. And then there's a trust in God. Look at verse 19. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. As we close, have you, ever heard, have you ever thought about Paul and his perspective on his own life? If Paul was one of those that kind of sat around and kind of sized up his own life and one day he gets this personal visitation from Jesus himself to be an evangelist, maybe he thought in his heart, oh, well, I'll get to speak to the masses and people will come to Christ. People will respect me for what I've done. Instead, he is beat left for dead, ran out of town on many occasions, shipwrecked, and now he's imprisoned, soon to be executed at the end. Isn't that amazing? And yet he writes this letter. Philippians 4.4, 4. listen to what he says. Rejoice in the Lord, how? 
always, you could say in all things. And again, I will say rejoice. If you didn't get it the first time, let's get it to you the second time. You know what he's telling us? To be joyful is a choice. It's a choice. It's a choice that begins with the cultivating aspects of what God wants to do in your heart. And so as we move to this point of application, here's what I want you to see. We, we, we have the soul of your heart. We obviously have weeds that I hopefully have pointed out that need to be taken out. But now we need to nurture the soul. We, we need to, 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 to soften the hard spots. We, we need to soften it up that the seed of God's word can go in, that it can bring contentment that it can bring peace, that it can bring joy. And y'all, that's the incredible life in a nutshell. That's what he wants for us. But we keep striving for those things that create strife and indifference in our hearts, resentment, and all those things. It begins with a, with a decision to enter into the cultivation process. So here's the application. Just as God's love, the joy that can be a reality in your life can be unimaginable and unlimited. The question is this, what is keeping you from experiencing the joy God desires to cultivate in you? What is it? Is it sin? Guilt and shame just won't let you get there. Negativity. I mean, you just sit there all the time. There seems to be this cloud of discouragement and negativity. Comparisons. It's not all it's cracked up to be. It's not all you think it is. Look to God. He wants to do a work in you far greater than anything this world can even show you. A peace that surpasses all understanding a joy that can be in any circumstance, a love that he has for you that is unimaginable, that is passionate and pursuing you because he wants his best for you. Would you pray with me? Father, we just come to you right now. We just thank you so much for your love, this love that surpasses all understanding, this peace that surpasses all understanding. Lord, we, we, so many ways, so many things out there, we can't even get our minds around when it comes to what you have for us. The whole idea of heaven is more than we can put words to, more than even what we can even hear. Nothing that you offer is in comparison to what this world offers, and yet we settle for what this world offers. The comparison of others what's presented to us. We long and we crave and we gotta have and Lord, help us to be content in you. Father, we thank you. Lord, I pray for each of the situations in this room. I know that the, 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 the uh, limitation that we have towards joy is, is limited to us in many ways and different ways in this room. And I just pray, Lord, that somehow the chains can be broken of the bondage that people are living in that they can come to understand the love you have for them and the joy and peace you want to cultivate in them. We thank you for what you desire to do in Jesus' name. Amen.